It's not a holiday. Oh, I know. Upsetty. <laughs> Nothing How exciting. How can December 13th not have a holiday? I don't know. I feel like every day in December should have a holiday attached to it. <laughs> but apparently, no, it's it's like the other days. It's like the other Welcome to the AdCast, a podcast for the study of modern visual culture. I'm your Tokyo Godfather, Renu. <laughs> and I'm also your Tokyo Godfather, Soup. <laughs> this week, at stands for Accidental Tokyo, because we'll be talking about Tokyo Godfathers, the perfect Kurisumasu movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, but before we get started, uh, what have you been up to? Well, uh, I don't know if sick you can. Boy. <laughs> I was gonna say I don't know if you can tell, but I'm sick again, <laughs> and it's mostly because um, everybody else is getting sick, and that just means you will get sick. Unfortunately, I I tried my best not to get sick, but it did end up happening. Um, so that sucks. How many, how many times on average per year do you would you say you get sick? So. I mean, if I had to think about it, like, I, I I think I get sick, like, maybe two or three times a year. Hmm. Um, but for some reason, it's always during recording. I don't know why I'm always sick during yeah, recording. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like it's been more than two or three times this year, but I'm, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure someone could go and count how many times I've been <laughs> sick in an episode. Um, but I think, I think it averages out to, like, you know, two or three times a year. Um... <laughs> Yeah, uh, usually I just get sick when um, everybody starts getting sick. Like, when when there's something going around, I'm pretty likely to catch it, um, which is mm. unfortunate, but that's just how it is. Mm. Um, but yeah, I was not feeling great today. My throat hurts, and Aww. I had a headache, and Aww. so I took a bunch of medicine, and I went to sleep, and then I woke up with an even worse headache, so I took some painkillers. Oh my god, you're really, like... Being a good trooper, being here. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best here. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's a thing. I went to go see Knives Out um, the other day, uh, and that was really really good movie. Actually, um, oh, I have good. I have a lot of thoughts about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you wanna if you wanted to do an episode on that, we could obviously do one. Um, you would have to go see it. Um, and we're also like kind of booked up until the end of the year. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, that's, that's something we can just like keep in our pocket anyway. Um, yeah, it's directed by, by Rian Johnson, who is, um, the person who directed the last Jedi. And I mean, there's some, it's interesting because there's some, um, uh, mixed opinions about the movie and not in the way that um, people initially thought. Um, I don't know why we're talking about it now other than, you know, Rian Johnson had a movie come out and I guess it's... Oh, that's right. The Star Wars movie is coming out this this month. That's why. Okay. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, so 
he directed a a a movie called Knives Out, which is a it's a murder mystery sort of movie kind Ooh. of, um, mm-hmm. and it's very very good. Like it's highly entertaining. Oh, it's really funny. Um, mm-hmm. The writing is very sharp. Um, it's a very well put together mystery. Um, Ooh. Because I think a lot of times it can be hard to put together a mystery that actually like feels satisfying to experience. But oh yeah, for sure. Um, you know this movie does a really good job of it. Um, because you know the the good thing about like a movie is, or a good thing about the about a mystery is like you know all of the like stuff hiding in plain sight where you like recontextualize it once you go back and you you yes, have the answer and you're like I, oh I love whoa. that. yeah 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 and I think good <laughs> this movie does a really good job of that it feels a lot like um a lot of people have described it as um a sort of um modern day telling of clue oh good that that's even better <laughs> yeah um i highly recommend watching it it's a very good movie um of course i have other thoughts about it but like okay. you know overall like my my impression of the movie was very very positive okay um uh, I so I also today bought the Final Fantasy fourteen expansion because it was half off. Um, oh, and I guess I'll start playing that now. Um, because, yeah, I was like, wait, do you play fourteen? <laughs> um, I played it for a little bit back in the day. Um, okay. I played at some point until like level 35 ish um and then i dropped off because my friend stopped playing because level 35 is like when they're like free trial stuff ends, so my friends basically stopped playing after that um, oh i see i see but yeah it's i mean i didn't have a lot of time to get through uh the beginning bits before we started recording but you know they're it's the beginning of mmo it's like really boring <laughs> but i, hear, I get you <laughs> yeah but i hear all the stuff that um comes later like after Basically, I hear, like, um, midway through the first expansion, and then, like, in each subsequent expansion, the story gets a lot better. So, you know, I just have to slog through the beginning bits. And honestly, like, I experienced it on the other characters. It's not like I have to actually read anything, um, Mm. which is which is nice. But it's it's still a little bit slow going just because my brain is a little addled today. Like, I feel very floaty, um, (laughs) which happens when understandable. Yeah. Other than that, uh, I started um, I started a Patreon for myself personally. Um, yeah, and I have been slowly putting together stuff for that. Um, I like write little, like little magic items, like little um, micro fictions, um, micro games, if that's like what you want. Um, and I write ramen reviews. Um, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't written any yet, but um, that was because I was working on, like, uh, what is ramen primer um, that I Uh. now have up, and now I can get to actually writing the reviews, just so people have, like, a basis to work off of. Um, (laughs) That's cute. (laughs) Yeah, I I think it'll be fun. Um, I'll, I'll, like, leave a link to the the primer, so, you know, you you can read that, and then I'll start to upload reviews and items and stuff it'll be it'll be fun it's just a little extra thing that I, I i have a little bit of time to do on the side it's kind of nice because even though it's work um it's not like 
it's not like the podcast where like I have to like wrangle you and schedule things and like watch things and talk about things and then edit the thing. Like I, it's just me and I'm writing something um, yeah. by myself, which is honestly yeah. kind of nice. Like I kind of I kind of need that. <laughs> I mean, you have a lot of freedom to just work on it whenever you want to versus needing to schedule a thing with another human being. So I right. understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't know. I think it's just kind of nice to have something that's like, I mean, it is work, but, you know, it's not like my full time job. Um, plus, I need a little like extra a money because, you know, I'm not yeah. a paid employee. So, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I could use it basically. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, I um if you want to check that out, that's patreon.com slash literal soup as you know yeah. is is tradition. Um, Everyone support soupy. Yeah. I mean obviously like <laughs> if if you're listening and you already support the Patreon for the podcast, you do not have to come and support. It goes to me anyway. <laughs> like you really you really don't have to. Um but yeah, um, that's 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 what I've been up to. I think I I don't remember if there's really anything else. Um, probably nothing else of note. What have you been up to? Um, I have slowly been collecting computer parts so that I can build a, my first PC, like my first home built PC. Wow, anyway. wow, Renu, yeah. I'm so proud yeah. of you. You're gonna I'm become you can become a, a mega streamer. <laughs> Mega streamer. <laughs> it's more like because my laptop can't really handle streaming anymore. Like oh, even if I run yeah. very low key stuff on it, it still is like very upset with me. Well, that's exciting. And yeah, so I just was like, you know, before my laptop entirely just craps out, I'm gonna, you know, get a mm -hmm. PC and that way it'll handle the burden a bit better and I'll be able to do more stuff cool. on, at home, like animation and all that. That won't stress out my laptop so cool what I'm kind of forward what, to it what kind of budget are you looking at for your computer um i'm looking at maybe like a max of like two grand um okay because yeah, i yeah. set aside like a bunch of money just mm -hmm. like every month to just kind of put towards the computer fund and so now i was like i think that's about enough <laughs> right well, that's cool so yeah i think anything at that price or below would be good yeah i mean two thousand dollars will net you like anything that a regular user would ever need right exactly and i yeah. feel like if i ever get really intense with like 3d animation or whatever then mm -hmm. it ought to be able to handle it pretty well so yeah do you know yeah. do you know what kind of like um processor you're getting like um they have uh two like big brand processors like intel and uh, amd uh i ended up getting an amd yeah that's um, a good choice Okay, yeah. Because um, right now, uh, AMD is putting out actually the better processors. Oh. Um, especially the better processors if you're looking at, like, creative workload and not necessarily just playing video game. Mm, yeah, the, okay. like... Because I, I had heard that, like, Intel was really... Has been, at least, the front runner for, like, creative work and stuff. But yeah. AMD lately has been for, doing really well. For a long time, Intel was um, basically the only chip that really mattered. Um, but oh. in recent years, um, the past, like, probably two, I think, years, the Ryzen chips have been released by AMD. And they're, like, much better, especially for the price point. Oh. Um, to the To the point where... It's kind of like, especially at the like top end, it's getting a little bit pathetic for Intel chips. 
Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, because um, what Intel does is when they release new generations, they for the past couple, it's really just been like, well, we like made some small tweaks to the last gen and we put it out there. Meanwhile, AMD is like, this chip could like bench press eight of our previous chips. <laughs> I see. So the rate of improvement has been much higher for AMD lately. Yeah. Um, so it's actually probably a better value proposition to go for an AMD um, processor at the very least. Um, right. But yeah, um, okay. that's good. That's good. That's cool. That sounds really fun. Good. <laughs> I, I want to build a new computer, um, but I don't really need to right now, um, even though I do feel like I'm starting to hit the, the kind of limits of mine, um, just because it's, I've been using the same computer probably for um, like four to six years now. Oh, that's good. Um, and well, I moved, I basically made a side grade about two years ago where I moved all the parts into a smaller case. Hmm. Um, so that I could lug it to and from school. Um, oh, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, and that was really f- nice, except for the fact that it means that the the thermals, like the the heat of it, is oh, a lot higher. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the parts probably are at some point going to just, like, not be optimal anymore. Uh, sure. op- I mean, the stuff in my computer is pretty, pretty old at this point. Um, I've gone through a lot of upgrades, but I'm still on fourth generation intel chips um okay and we're on ninth gen now so like right it's been a little bit i mean mind you the processor is still it still works really well um Mm. but yeah i'm looking to build a new computer but i don't have money for that obviously so like god god knows it doesn't even matter um (laughs) at at the very least my computer still works so i'll take Mm -hmm. it honestly (laughs) <laughs> yeah what well, else what's good you've been up to anything else i've made more progress in bravely second um i've gotten to the parts where you do the side quests and you have to apparently choose between two classes from the first game like they bring back some of the old classes and the old characters and they're like choose one of these people to beat up in this moral situation where oh, I you, know, remember you have, that. You have yeah, two yeah. differing ideologies yeah so it's like yeah, one yeah. person's like i gotta protect these desert people at all costs and then the other one's like if i take this jewel then the desert people will thirst to death but uh i will be able to make advances for the betterment of all humanity and so you kind of have to make a decision i mean it, it ends up being a bit of a moral obligation but also mostly to decide which class that yeah you want mostly to mostly with. just to decide which class yeah and it's a big pain i don't like it. <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> i feel like i always feel a little bit like that where like it's um whenever i get the the option between two things i just want to min max whichever option is better so like sure. the fact that it's tied to um what is ostensibly a moral choice is is kind of a bummer. I, I rem- it's a huge bummer. I remember doing that quest and being like, well, I guess I'll just follow my morals. That's what I'm doing! <laughs> I'm ending up with all these, like, classes that I... I actually don't entirely want, but at the same time, I'm like, I can't bring myself to not choose the moral one that i want to agree with and so it, yeah it's just a big fat pain 
Yeah, I mean, I, that that's like the thing about games, though, is that sometimes they they want to do these things where they're like, well, we're gonna give you a choice, and sometimes when you do the better thing, the choice is worse, and you're like, okay, so what you're what you're reinforcing to me on on like a um on a like system wide level. Uh, yeah. is you're telling me that doing the right thing is bad. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, it's worse. It's, I mean, it's also, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think there's, there's, there are ways to do it that aren't necessarily that. Not that I think Bravely right. Second and Bravely Default are really that, like, complex of games. No. Um, but, like, it still, like, it still feels kind of bad, you know? It feels bad, too, because you, you get the precedent from Bravely Default that... You have all of these wonderful classes to choose from, and really, Second has some nice new classes to choose from too. However, by bringing back some of the old classes, I get that they don't want you to have all of the previous games classes plus all the new games classes. And yet, at the same time, I'm so used to because of the first game having all of these classes at my disposal, and so having to choose between. One or the other. I, I'm I'm imagining that they give you all of them, but they only let you keep half. Is mm. maybe what they're going for this time by having you do all these side quests. So I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I want all of them. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, also, they announced Bravely Default Two for I, the Switch. I saw that. Yeah, I saw that they had announced a, a Bravely Default Two. It made me upsetty spaghetti soupy because they called it Bravely Default 2. <laughs> yeah, apparently it's because they consider Bravely Second just to be like a second part to the first game. It's stupid. What are they going to call the second part to Bravely Default 2? <laughs> Bravely Second 2. It's going to be incredibly confusing. Oh my God. Um, Help me. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested in it, like, kind of um, marginally. I... The problem is that I never finished Bravely Second. Um, right. Like, I, I, I wonder. I if, feel like I got pretty far in it, though. Yeah. Uh, if it's a if it's a good improvement over the second, uh, over Bravely Second. Oh my god. <laughs> I, over Bravely Second, then that would be great, and then I would play it. But I, I think I would just wait for the reviews to come out and see how it compares. I think that's what I'm going to do, too. Like, the way that I feel about it, really, is that, like, Bravely Default was was good because it was, like, a nice, cute little game. It was very yes. reminiscent of, like, old-school Final Fantasy. Um, yes. But at the same time, I feel like one of those games was cute. Bravely Second kind of wore on my nerves a little bit. And exactly! Me too! And if we have Bravely Default 2 and it doesn't really make any noticeable, you know, improvements to anything. Because, like, yeah, I mean, like, you're on the Switch now. You have more capability than you did on. Yeah. On on the like the 3DS line. Like, yes, if you aren't going to make any improvements to the game. And I obviously like this is it's tough because you can't stray too far from it either or else it stops being like a Bravely Default game. Right, exactly. Which is, in the first place, why Bravely Default exists as a non-Final Fantasy game. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, I I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it necessarily. Um, <sighs> Me neither. If it's, it, 
If know. the writing is better, I think that might yes. actually. <gasps> I yes, really the think. Writing. Yeah, I really think if the if the writing and characters are better, then I I will. I might I actually agree. play through. I it. was actually really excited to see that they had an entirely new cast for your party. I was like, I love, you know, Adia and Ring a Bell. I would have them for every game if I could. But the other characters, I just don't care. <laughs> and so, yeah. if you're going to give me new characters, give me a whole new set of characters, and that's it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm. I'm also interested just because, like, you know, Bravely Default had um, some interesting things about the like you know, alternate worlds and the parallel universes, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of interested mm-hmm. just to see what else they, like, pull out. Um, I hope it's good. Yeah. It's, um, it looks like the art style overall is the same, um, mm-hmm. or at least very similar. Uh, the character designs, uh, the thief girl, or she's look, she looks like a thief-ish kind of girl. Looks like she's stepped out of Dragon Quest, which threw me <laughs> for a loop. I was like... Are we going in this direction, bravely? <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna go watch the trailer. Hang on. Go watch it. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about it. <laughs> you know, in terms of the character design, it's different at least, which is nice. I guess, but it's it's definitely in a more other JRPG direction versus its own direction. It feels like I don't know. Oh my god. <laughs> what? <laughs> what is this guy? I know! The guy, right? <laughs> I, what are any of these guys? <laughs> Why do they like, look like that? The the blonde girl looks like... She's like, okay, yeah, yeah. The She's like the Agnes of the group, mayhaps. And then there's there's serious-looking boy who looks like he might be a pirate or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I can't tell. And then there's this Namby Pamby. Yeah, <laughs> what the fuck? Scarf. He looks like he looks like he stepped out of Final Fantasy 15. <laughs> I don't understand. Um okay. Well, I <laughs> these these could have looked better. <laughs> they look they look a little bit too much like claymation dolls. Yeah. Well, I won't hold out hope for that. But anyway, that was well, interesting. You know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it's developed by Clay Tech Works. If that has anything to do with the clay look, I don't know. Isn't that the Isn't that the studio that did the original Bravely Default? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> if the story is better, maybe I'll pay attention. Um, but yeah, I don't. I'm not holding out hope necessarily because, like, I don't know. I feel like there's a reason we kind of stopped having like these classic JRPGs. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. obviously, Dragon Quest still exists, but like Final Fantasy has every every time they release a new one of these suckers, they're like weird. They're weirder. <laughs> you know, it's like because you know. Um, you had, uh, like every 13 game, I think there were three of those suckers and that Mm -hmm. was like a whole thing. And then, Mm -hmm. and then you had like 14, which is, was, was the MMO. Um, Mm -hmm. and then you had 15 where it's like just four dudes being guys in a car and you play monster hunter sometimes, I guess. So like, you know, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, um, final fantasy games are getting weirder. Not that they were ever like. 
like I, I don't want to discredit Final Fantasy. It's been weird for a long time. Like obviously the plot yeah. of you know Final Fantasy seven and eight and nine yeah. are like they're not necessarily classic standard. They're not Dragon yeah. Quest, is what I'm saying. Like Dragon Quest right. is the exact same every single time, which is what people <laughs> which is what people like about it. Um, but it's also what people don't like about it. And yeah, um, yeah, I feel like it. While it's nice to have like these these like small kind of games, like mm-hmm. you know, Bravely Default or I Am Setsuna, etc. Like mm-hmm. I always feel, I don't know. I always feel like whenever I play these games, um, a part of me is just kind of like sad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because like I I know when I was younger, I really enjoyed these games. um, Yes. But as as someone who's older now, it takes a lot more work to get me kind of invested and immersed in in, in these spaces. It's a lot harder for me to kind of project onto... um, what are essentially like I don't know they're like they're like bare bones worlds really like there's not a lot of NPCs they yeah. don't really have any variation in dialogue there's never right. enough meat to it in the writing right. portion that like I just kind of leave feeling unsatisfied like I'm just like I want more but not in the sense that I want to play another game of, of this it, I just want what exists to have been more you know I understand that and I and I feel like too that this series at least uh the bravely series is a little marketed more towards a younger audience definitely than maybe say final fantasy which definitely has more complex worlds and plots going on mm-hmm. uh, so that might contribute to it but also it's it's meant to be a lighter playing experience you know not as much i don't know yeah i think that's big fair. dramas i think that's i think that's fair <laughs> Even though it does deal with the end of the world, you know, <laughs> yeah, you got like chippy characters running around. So, yeah, eh. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just think generally it's just never like going to. I don't know. I feel like I, I I never really feel satisfied with JRPGs anymore, even though I really want to. Um, I might well, enjoy. Well, what about uh Persona? Because Persona is JRPG. Well, yeah, but like. The thing about Persona is that it's one of the JRPGs that I really like because it is so in-depth and because there's so much, like, writing meat to it. Obviously, some of it is a little bit redundant. Some of it is a little bit slow. But because it's half a visual novel, like, there's an adequate amount of, like, fanfare given. And obviously, I have... I kind of have problems with Persona still, um... Like, I think Persona games could still be a lot tighter. Um, and yeah, I think that there's a lot of filler. And I think that, like, they have to stop being afraid of um, character development outside of um, social links. Because if you max out someone's social link pretty early, they just don't change for the rest of the game, which is kind of yeah, a bummer. Yeah, it's terrible. And then you're like, I don't have any reason to interact with you anymore. Yeah, exactly. I'm just going to ignore you and go do other stuff. So if if there was some way to get around that, um, I would like it to. I mean, I I think the problem is that like I fundamentally just want something different from fantasy games than I used to. Like, yeah, the feeling that I want to have uh, evoked is is so different from from what it is. 
And to be honest, the thing that has gotten me the closest to feeling that way in in recent memory is actually Pokemon Sword and Shield. Like oh. the the camping feature um, that you can you can do in the game and like the wild area, it actually makes it feel a lot more like what I want out of a JRPG where like you set up camp and you get to like sit around a fire and heal up and and have like a good time with your JRPG party. Like mm. that's really the kind of thing I want. Like I want the game to feel less like, you know, I'm following the story to its conclusion and more mm-hmm. like I am on an adventure and I, I am on a journey, you know? Yeah. Um, and in, in I, that sense, in that mm-hmm. sense, though, like, it's interesting because um, what I want is, <laughs> and this is kind of funny, but it's it's really what I want is a return to what fantasy stories used to used to be about. Like, obviously, if you watch something like, you know, um, The Lord of the Rings, what people remember about The Lord of the Rings is you know, all of the dramatic stuff that happens, like, oh, we're fighting Sauron and we're hiding from sure. like yeah, the ring wraiths and and you know, um there's the like the battle of the whatever. It's been a yeah. long time since I've watched Lord of the Rings, but like, you know, it's like the battle of whatever and there's like armies showing up and you're like, whoa, cool. But like yeah. also if you go back and you like read them, a lot of it especially if you read like The Hobbit and compare it to the movies, like it's a lot of just journeying and walking yeah and eating food and like hanging yeah. out with no, like I, I your love bros. that like if when i remember the lord of the rings is i remember i feel like in equal parts the super epic moments but also the really nice little uh you know party member moments basically when the characters are just like interacting with each other they're just yeah. trekking across the world <laughs> well essentially the, the thing that the thing that's like the thing about fantasy stories to me is that they never really capture that aspect very well. And I, I, yeah, to be fair, I, it's a very hard ask to do um, to do it because it it's is. It, it's such a it's such an intangible subjective experience. Um, right. But like the thing is, like the the aspects of like camping out, like making camp and like sharing stories and like interacting like I want more character interaction, but these stories never have enough between the characters themselves, except for like in like cutscenes or whatever, where they like you mm-hmm, know maybe mm-hmm. talk to each other. But this is a big problem I had. Yeah. Um, that honestly, I think one of the things that one of the games that um, felt less like this was the the Tales series because they I have was just gonna bring them yeah, up mm-hmm. because they have yeah. those like um, extra scenes that you you can watch if you yes. want to. Um, and it's yes. like just this little like interaction between the party members, and that makes it feel yes. so much more like a party. Um, yeah, you know, I still remember like playing through Tales of Symphonia and having like a great time. Um, yeah, it's cute. It's it's mm-hmm. it's kind of, and I like that it's optional because it's like, well, if you're just the person that wants to get through the game, yeah. you're not gonna want to look at all this extra stuff because it's right. a lot of extra time to sit there and watch these they're not even like voice well i don't know if they are now they might be now but back then know. they weren't super, they weren't voiced and so all you would see was these characters and their portraits kind of bouncing around in these boxes and then you'd read the the dialogue on the bottom <laughs> um but it was like really cute moments and the writing entails is so there's a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, I think so, Tales, Tales games are one of the best in terms of like what I want yeah. from a JRPG. Yeah, I I like um, 
what was it? Final Fantasy IX had something similar to that too, where the, you had the private actions, or mm. and then so you would just hit the select button if a little like side cutscene was happening, and you and then it would like kind of like move you to that part of whatever's happening, and then you'd see two characters who generally aren't the protagonist kind of just interacting in some kind of cute way or like you know just extra mm -hmm. character development and i love that it made final fantasy 9 like one of my favorite games in the series because the characters felt so strong you know um yeah i i agree with you that that's probably my favorite aspect of jrpgs is just seeing the characters be able to interact with each other in a meaningful way mm -hmm. um so i do I mean, wish that more it's... rpgs focused on it like it's really what separates like you know having characters like character human characters as opposed to like just having a team of pokemon like do you know what i mean <laughs> like pokemon I, are people too <laughs> they're characters too Super. i mean i i know um but like yeah i i feel like and and weirdly enough, one of the games that I think does this really well is um, Darkest Dungeon, where even oh. though it's like a very small moment, um, one of the kind of key mechanics of it is in longer dungeons, you set up camp and everybody has like camp skills that they can use and they like share little bits of dialogue. And even though like they're not personalized uh, characters, really, like you can change their color scheme in their name and that's about it. Um, yeah. It still feels like... Um, it, it, it feels very good in the cadence of the game. And I think if more games had systems like that, more formalized rest systems, then yeah. it it would lead to um, people being more invested in your characters. Um, yeah, I feel like Final Fantasy XV tried really hard to have that. And I I would say it's kind, they, they, they kind of get it, mm -hmm. right? Because the, the whole game is centered around your four dudes and their you know, strong bonds between each other. And so they have a lot of different ways of you being able to kind of get to know them. And yet somehow you still like, <laughs> you still don't know anything about their background except for Noctis and Prompto. Oh, I hate it. Uh, but, uh, they do have like camp, like little scenes, which are really nice. And I kind of wish there was a bit more to them because they do have some, a couple of cutscenes every now and then with them or like really small but nice little interactions when you camp but like because the game was like so unpolished and some of the stuff was just so hollow that like it it could have been really good if they had just tightened it up more and and been able to refine it more and so just keeping it in development hell mm -hmm. <laughs> i think we should move on <laughs> We should. We've been before, talking a lot before, about RPGs. Yeah, before the whole episode becomes about RPGs. <laughs> Which is, doesn't really have much to do with what we're talking about today. But, Almost uh, nothing, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, we one of the best things about what we're talking about today is the character interaction. I so. mean, yes. <laughs> this, that, that, is, that is indeed true. Okay. Let's talk about Tokyo Godfathers. So Tokyo Godfathers yeah. is an anime movie released in 2003, directed by Satoshi Kon and written and co-written by Kon and Keiko Nobumoto, who is the head scriptwriter of Kaipo Bebop and the creator of Wolf's Reign. Both very good. 
Um, yeah. It follows three homeless people who find a baby on Christmas and their journey to try and get it back to its mother. So, <laughs> if you don't know, Satoshi Kon is probably one of the most famous and like most well-regarded anime directors of all fucking time. Like, yeah. it is actually no joke how amazingly impactful he was on the industry for only... And I had to look this up. And he, he only worked for about 10 years, really. Wow. Like, he worked for 10 years, and then he died of terminal pancreatic cancer. And in that time, he has left such an unforgettable mark on the industry. Everybody has, like... I swear, I think everybody has heard of, you know, Paranoia Agent, Perfect Blue, Paprika, Millennium Actress. Or if you haven't, you've probably seen a scene from one of those movies or shows mm -hmm. that has shown up mm -hmm. um, shot for shot in American cinema. Yep. Yeah. Um, I will link a video about the way that Satoshi Kon directs, but we'll talk about that later. Um but yeah, he's really he's really well known for like being this incredible, incredible director, very sharp writer, um, and like it is just mind boggling how how much he achieved in in only ten years. Um, but yeah, um, let's talk about let's talk about the Tokyo Godfathers. So the plot of it is that there are um, three homeless people. Uh, one is just like a like a like a drunk dude. Um, one is um, somebody who worked at a <sighs> a hostess bar, kind of like. And this is this is something that um, like we we can just like get out of the way. Like the there is a very. Um, and we've talked about this before, but like there was a very prominent thing in in Japan um, that has only just sort of recently started to f like fall out of uh, favor, I guess, or existence. Um, but like the the way that you would signal queer characters in um in like Japanese media, basically the kind of iconic queer character is um part of something called okama culture which is um it's very similar to drag culture in the united states where um you know people will will dress in these incredibly gaudy flamboyant very feminine um outfits um and it's a very complicated cultural space because obviously while it is important that um there are non like heterosis normative spaces and while i do think personally that there is a place for um queerness that is not normalized um because you know queerness by its sort of definition by its very nature is non-normative um while i think there is space for that it's also important to address that like japan is like not the greatest in terms of how they portray people. Um, but part of this is also as a result of like, of, you know, what Okama culture is and was, and, you know, even that word is kind of falling out of favor now as people are more and more aware of, um, like LGBTQ issues. Like, I think that a, a lesbian couple just got married recently somewhere in Japan. Um, and that was like a big Aww. deal. 
Um, but like, yeah, so it's, I don't know, because it's, it's such a complicated space, um, but in many ways, it, it has the exact same problematic notations that, that drag culture does in, in the United States, where, you know, it is the progenitor of a lot of, you know, LGBTQ movement um, for, for, you know, social rights and acceptance, while at the same time being a space that can be damaging to the people that it's, you know, trying to help. So we're going to get we've we've kind of put that out there. Um, so one of the characters uh, works at one of these like Okama bars um, or worked at um, and. Um, so obviously, like it's it's a very complicated space because i don't think it's like she's not meant to necessarily be funny by way of her um gender nonconformity, but at the same time um some of them are as a result of i guess you could say like a lot of it it's none of it is ever like um you know somebody makes like a homophobic joke or a transphobic joke and then like people are supposed to laugh it's always like this person is just kind of ridiculous and their physical comedy is elevated yes. by the fact that, um, you know, the way that they are um, presenting themselves and the way that they are being perceived, there's kind of this disconnect between. But yeah, that so there's obviously like that's a big part of it. Um, so if you have any obviously like sensitivities to that, it is completely OK to not be comfortable with that and to not watch this movie. Um, sure yeah i do love this Uh, movie a lot but yeah i Um, I love this movie a lot too i think it because it never like makes a specific jab like at okama culture in terms of like making them the butt of the joke kind of thing right i think it's it handles it relatively well like well it's like you said the the character the like her personality is so funny like mm-hmm. she's hilarious and she always is like trying to add levity to the situation, even at her own detriment that mm-hmm. I feel like that's it's it's wholesome in a way, the way that she's she's always trying to just, you know, get everyone yeah. moving, get everyone going. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, I will say it is it is important to to also acknowledge that um, it's probably the most like sensitive pr- uh, portrayal of someone coming from, you know, um, Okama culture that exists really um in especially in 2003 like the thing is that um yeah (laughs) it it is like okama culture was was one of the only spaces that was like socially um kind of cognizant like people were socially cognizant that it was like a thing that existed but it was mostly played for laughs whereas it's really not here you know she's she's just as much one of these characters as any of the other two who are cis and then like on top of that you know the the bar that she worked at is is shown to ultimately be her home and the people that are ultimately shown to be like welcoming and caring and like they're so sweet i think i got emotional <laughs> yeah i i think it's it's really important to to acknowledge that you know this this portrayal is you know you know on some level definitely problematic but at the same time um is probably the most sensitive that it will ever get on on that subject um, yeah i i i agree yeah but yeah i mean it's Obviously, like this, this movie was made 16, almost 17 years ago. So like attitudes about, you know, non-normative attraction and identity are uh, few and far between. So, yeah, 
Yeah. If if that would put you off, obviously it's okay not to watch it. But like, it's probably the best that it has ever been. And honestly, like there are some characters that are treated much like worse in other pieces. Like, I think that um, the I kind like I kind of wish that there um was some more catharsis in that respect. But I think the scene at the kind of like um when they go back to the bar is is more about that like i i think the catharsis does not have to happen in the found family that they have necessarily um just because the movie is so like tightly wrapped as is that it's it'd be difficult to put it in but anyway um so yeah you have hana who is um you know the um the sort of mother figure in this uh in this group and then you have yeah. Miyuki who is a 16-year-old runaway child um who ran away because she stabbed her dad after he um after after their cat disappeared basically so it, yeah they had a really bad fight essentially yeah. and it seemed like Miyuki kind of just maybe there was like a lot of tension going on and just kind of snapped at that moment mhm um, and then Gein is the alcoholic yes. dad figure. <laughs> yep. Um, so yeah, uh, the movie follows them trying to get this baby that they find in the trash back to wherever its family is. Um, and yeah, uh, that's that's the plot of it. It happens on Christmas. That's why it's a Christmas movie. Even though by the <laughs> end of it, it's not Christmas anymore. Um, it, like, it takes place over like five days. Yeah. But yeah, um, very, very good movie. Um, the animation of it is... God, can we just talk about the animation? Because like... My gosh, we, dude. <laughs> like, holy Jesus, we just don't make them like this anymore. No. <laughs> like, for for all of the, you know, kind of technological advancements we've made and all of the really beautiful stuff coming out, you know, like the new Pokemon anime that has this like really fluid, beautiful style and like stuff like Promare, which was obviously like just Gainax flexing um, or trigger flexing <laughs> as hard as possible. Um, you know, like all, all that sort of stuff is, is good, but like there's something, and I, I will say this is to be fair, very rooted in Satoshi Kon himself, but like we sort of lost satoshi kon's style when he died and if you watch yeah. these movies you'll kind of understand what i mean like his yep. style of art is very like not anime in a sense um as far as anything cannot be anime it's like not what people traditionally think of in as when they think of anime it's very grounded in reality um mm -hmm. people look very like realistic and they look kind of weird sometimes um the the fluidity of the animation um and it's done by studio madhouse studio madhouse collaborated with satoshi kon to make pretty much everything that he, he did and it's probably like some of their best work honestly like yeah anytime they worked with kon it just turned out amazing um yep. things move with like this this perfect fluidity like there's very little like e i think even if you just like stop the the frames themselves they look good um yes and the um the expressions of the characters are just like they're so good i oh my god the expressions I legitimately i'm trying to think of an anime that does 
the range of emotions that Tokyo Godfathers pulls off like better and I blank nothing like yeah it's 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 wonderful like like from like just (laughs) just Miyuki alone like like in the beginning scenes I was like oh I am one over (laughs) yeah every time she pouted (laughs) there's there's like a like I think like not only the expressions look really good and like realistic but also like they're not afraid of kind of like stretching people's faces and making them look really like silly or like ugly because that's what people look like in real life and (laughs) you know when you kind of stretch that to like an anime perspective it's like a lot of people aren't really necessarily willing to do that they'll be like oh people look beautiful when they cry and then you have like (laughs) you have like this movie where like everyone's just ugly crying all the time and it's like kind of the best it's so cute <laughs> yeah um, it's really really endearing the they're really good about character animation too um and it's a large oh, part gosh, of why yeah. everything kind of like fits together and works like tension is built when it's meant to be when, when it's meant to be built the character animations show you like aspects of their personality and like the way that they move is like mm-hmm. unique to them and mm-hmm. because of that stuff like the physical comedy that happens is so 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 funny yeah it's so funny Hmm. yeah i don't know yeah. I, I think like it's i was thinking this when i when i was watching the movie um which we happened to watch together this time um but like i was thinking this when we were watching the movie that like they really just don't um it just, like anime doesn't really just look like that anymore like and obviously like it was satoshi kon so like nothing really looks like that anymore but like <laughs> um I was just thinking that, like, it's not necessarily that often that we get something that looks so, I don't know, like, realistic, I guess? Like, a very grounded style of, of art. Yeah, it uh, it's it's hard to describe, really, but it's, you, I mean, you could make the argument that, oh, it's a film, therefore, of course, it's gonna look good. But, like, even Paranoia Agent, which was a series, an anime yeah. series, looked really good. I mean... I think the thing is, it's like, yeah, obviously movies have bigger budgets, but like a large part of why it looks the way it does is because of the director, because of Satoshi Kon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of series that go in this sort of direction kind of end up losing their audience a bit because I feel like especially even now, like anime watchers expect a certain very like big eyed style you know what mm-hmm. i mean yeah, that yeah. very <laughs> well that very moe style or whatever <laughs> the, the thing is like um it it is important to note though that like um there is kind of a marked line between anime movies as one understands anime movies and and you know anything by satoshi kon cuz satoshi kon was basically just making movies period they just happen to have been animated, right? Yeah. And, like, it, it's kind of like that weird space where anime exists both as a medium and as a genre, where, mm-hmm. you know, like, there's stuff that is anime movies. Like, Promare is an anime movie, right? Yes. Um, yes. Something like, um, even something like Sword of the Stranger is an anime movie. Right. Whereas Paranoia Agent, or like, not, not Paranoia Agent, because that one is a series, but like Perfect Blue, Paprika, Millennium Actress are movies. And 
the thing about mm. them specifically is that like Satoshi Kon was such a good director that mm-hmm. it really like showed up in his cinema and yeah the way that he edited um and this is the the video that I'll that I'll link it's a pretty famous video it's by Every Frame of Painting which I yeah. fucking adore yeah um but it talks about Satoshi Kon editing space and time and yeah. how um oftentimes he would like he he gave an interview about um about movies basically and he he was like um Satoshi Kon mind you is like he he said I never want to do live action because um I can not I edit too fast for live action like I can convey a lot of information with very few frames in animation and it's it's true um and they, you know the the video goes and talks about like you know these these scenes where like things happen and um I I I think it's it's so interesting because like we don't really necessarily think about editing as part of the movie making process, but it's arguably the most important part of of the process. And the fact that in Tokyo Godfather's like the 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 movie takes place over five days, but you never really feel that because it just kind of cuts out all the stuff that doesn't really matter. Yeah, like there is. Like the when they find the baby and Miyuki looks down and she sees the key and then, you know, a, a movie would just like show her taking the key. But this one doesn't. It just kind of skips later. And then at some point in the in the future, she's like, ah, and then they just skip from that point to the locker that they've already opened. So, like, you know, it is it is true that Satoshi Kon basically edits in a way that is like impossible to replicate in live action not that people haven't tried like obviously stuff like inception is incredibly inspired by his work like inception is basically just paprika it is is, yes many people have been able to compare it to paprika it's because it basically is like there's a scene that's shot for shot from paprika yeah exactly you know it it's kind of funny because like nobody really ever thinks about um how influential anime is in Western media, but like boy, boy, oh, they should, um, because mm-hmm. like some of, some of the best television that's come out of, um, uh, like America has been inspired by anime, and some of the mm-hmm. best like, like God, God knows, you know the 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 show that's airing right now, The Mandalorian, right? Mm. Um, it, it is basically. Is basic, and this is kind of a weird point of cultural exchange, but it's basically a samurai movie, but because by by way of being a western, so it's a western movie, but western movies take from samurai movies because samurai movies took from western movies. It's kind of weird, but it's it. Who knows? It's very strange, but like, (laughs) it's it's basically um um. Yeah, like one of my friends basically put it where um, where he said uh, this this series is basically like a Western version of um, Lone Wolf and Cub. Oh, yeah. Which in um, which in uh, the English release was called Shogun Assassin for some reason. (laughs) I don't really know why. Um, I think it's because they like accused him of assassinating the Shogun or something. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've watched it, but 
Yeah. But yeah, like it's um Satoshi Kon is probably one of the most influential directors of of the century. I mean, yeah. we're only about 20 years into it, so I guess that's a bold claim to make, but like at least of the <laughs> decade, like the the decade from 2000 to 2010, like in in that time Satoshi Kon has like basically just changed the game and he's still yep. far and away ahead of anybody else who's come after him. Um yep. And it's kind of tragic that we only got 10 years of of him being able to do work. Um but like mm -hmm. in those 10 years God he's put out some great stuff. Um We have the same birthday. <gasps> wow. How about that? <laughs> wow. Not the same year, yeah. but you know. <laughs> okay. Um let's talk about characters. So, um did you have a favorite one? <laughs> I mean, can you even pick one? I don't. I don't know if that's possible. I loved. I. I mean, I. I was talking about this while we were watching it, but basically every character, even the minor characters and all of that, I loved. Aside from like the the mean like punks or whatever, and a couple yeah. other characters who were just you know bad people, all of the characters were so wonderful. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean. I love it because they're like really warm and and like helpful and welcoming, but like in a human way where it's like they're just yeah. like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. You know, it's like the the cab driver who's just kind of like I going along with all the bullshit, <laughs> like the guy who um, the like basically like the mob boss guy who was like yeah. about to be run over by his own car. And they just like are like, well, I guess we'll help him, <laughs> you know, like. Even even the incidental characters have so much like care yes. and attention put into them that they feel yes, so exactly. realistic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I mean, I imagine. I mean, I'm of course closest to the three main characters, and it's right. great that they're they manage to make them so like you get really attached to them, kind of thing. Because I. A lot of series can kind of be hit or miss in terms of whether you like the main characters or not. And yeah. I think all three of them are are just home runs. They're they're all great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I you know, like the thing about it is that I I really appreciate like strong writing, right? Yeah. And the fact that all the characters have so much going on and you when you watch them like so much of that is is conveyed visually or subtextually like there's obviously a lot of stuff that you know we are we're shown like the the scene where um uh Miyuki is like has stabbed her father right you know that that sort of stuff like obviously we get to see that but like a lot of the characterization is is so like incidental in a way mm -hmm. that's really, really good. Um, you know, like they're just having a conversation and, and you know, the conversation that Gin has about like why he's able to like um, take care of a baby is like, yeah, my my <laughs> wife and my kids died because I got scammed. And it turns out he's just been fucking lying. And, <laughs> you know, like all that kind of stuff is like it, it builds up this this idea of of what these characters are like without ever having yep. to just like say it out loud. You yep. know, you have like you've Gin who's like un unreliable and and super flaky. Like he's just the dad that yep. disappeared. But at the same yep. time, you know, you can tell that he's he's genuinely trying to do his best and that he just kind of 
is is really really actually just down on his luck uh even though like you know he he can be kind of a jackass sometimes he's still trying his best yeah like he he obviously genuinely cares uh but he does have his own hang-ups and you kind of learn to just yeah <laughs> accept him as he is in in the sense of like you want him to do better so that he can you know overcome his guilt overcome you know whatever it is that that's holding him back and and because you know that he'll he's gonna do right by other people eventually when he can you know stop yeah. being so hard on himself <laughs> yeah and and like i think similarly both both the other characters are, are are pretty pretty strongly like that you know yeah um <laughs> i do like how well-meaning all three of them are <laughs> Yeah, well, that, that's the thing about that's the thing that's so striking about this movie, but also the other movies that Satoshi Kon has done is that all the yeah. characters feel so utterly and hopelessly sincere about like their circumstances. <laughs> you know, like it there there's a a genuine, real warmth in in the characterization of these characters, um, and in a lot of ways, it feels like what what you know Kon felt about people you know uh, mm-hmm. about these people who are just ultimately trying to trying to do their best and obviously like this is the the probably the lightest thing that he's ever done um everything mm-hmm. else is quite intense um but like you know there is there is like a an amount of um genuine sincerity like it feels like they're being true to themselves when they when they do things um mhm and I kind of like, you know, even when even when like weird stuff or bad stuff is happening, you know, they're just like this. OK, this movie is wild. Like, let's get this. out. Like, the movie is fucking wild. So much shit happens in this movie. Um, <laughs> so- and it, it goes it goes and like they get wrapped up in the mob. There's an assassination attempt like. You, I love so how wildly unpredictable Cone's works are in general, but this one was just like at every turn, I did not know what was going to happen next. <laughs> yeah. And th- the thing is, like this, so Tokyo Godfathers as a Christmas movie is a Christmas movie because it's set during Christmas, but it's, I mean, more than that, because obviously, like, there are some people that don't agree with that criteria for it being a Christmas movie. Because, you know, by that definition, Die Hard is a Christmas movie, etc., etc., etc. I'm not here to get into that debate. But thematically, it's also a Christmas movie because the entire movie, and this, this you know, comes from Cohn himself, is about, like, miracles and coincidences. And that actually really makes it feel um, like a lot of the work that is in this movie goes towards making it feel like like that happens. Like... You know the like the the like Deus Ex Machina of like ah in the last hour a hero has come to our aid and has mm-hmm. found the final weapon etc cetera, etc cetera. you know mm-hmm. um that kind of stuff can feel kind of cheap and clumsy when it's done in a narrative but the reason it feels so like f- fine here is because well because of of many different reasons but like there's so many of them. Like there, it, the movie is jam packed with so many like Chekhov's guns, with so many coincidences and miracles that happen that it feels like it works out in the end. Like, mm-hmm. 
the um you know you have like all of these really interconnected things like you have this baby that goes missing um and they like learn about like all the like house stuff that happened they learn about this um like <laughs> like they Hana is in the car listening to a radio broadcast following after where Miyuki went and they're listening to this broadcast about how a, a, a like a young girl was kidnapped by a, a a man with a child and it's like like all of these things that happen if they make the the space of the movie feel so connected to itself like it's such a yeah. tightly woven thing it's yeah. like so dense with information that mm-hmm. it feels consistent, even though all of the stuff that's happening is so utterly batshit out of left field. Like, <laughs> there's absolutely no reason why this movie should feel as satisfying as it does, except it does. Because, like, you know, uh, there's, like, a scene where, where Gin is in the hospital and he's, like, um, in the background is, like, they're reading off winning lottery numbers. And then, like, at the end of the movie, like, a pile, like, you know... Pfft, falls out onto the ground and then like the the like tickets spill out and like one of them is the winning number um and this just keeps happening it's so layered with narrative that like yeah. by the end it's like this perfectly encapsulated ball of yarn yep um yep. and i i think in a lot of ways that um that this is like what makes open world games kind of feel better um because the main problem that I have with many open world games is that there are oftentimes very big maps with very little in between and that very little in between has very little to do with each other. Like mm-hmm. the reason why, for instance, Yakuza might be the best open world game ever is because it's so <laughs> fucking jam packed with stuff that and a lot of it is even like related to some of the other stuff. That it yeah. it makes a coherent space, like it makes a coherent yeah. fictional space. Yes, that a lot of places, a lot of um, games cannot create, and a lot of movies cannot create. That mm-hmm. Tokyo Godfather does. It just does yeah. it. It's like, yep. it really makes it feel like a a space that people live in, that people are connected in, and you know that's what a lot of his work was about, right? Yeah, you know, it, it's about like how how are you connected as people. Mm-hmm. You know how I think that's that's what helps make it ultimately a Christmas movie because a lot of Christmas movies they focus on this theme of like a family that's kind of maybe not really getting along but then in the end they come together because that's what the holidays are about. Yeah. And uh and this movie is all about that. It's about you know reconnecting, you know, bonds that fell apart or you know establishing new ones or strengthening the ones that you already have. Right. And it's it's really touching and it really focuses on that human element. And yeah, I think I that's mean, why it's it's perfect for this time of year, especially. I think it's it's pretty clear that there is a radical reconstruction of what a family is happening in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like this movie is is 100 percent a found family trope, you know, where yeah. they all become. Like dependent on each other and they they have to rely on each other to get through a world that is cold and harsh and cruel. And at the end of the movie, they, they become like that relationship between them as like family becomes codified into a formal family in, in the sense that like, they're now all 
the baby's godfathers. So yeah, <laughs> like you know, it's it's kind of this movement from like you know, um, well, you sh- everyone sh- is like happiest in their like real family. Everyone's happiest where they're supposed to belong. And at the end of the movie, they do go back to you know their original families, but at the same time, they've also created a new family, and that mm-hmm. and that can be understood as one's like real families, like the the family mm-hmm. that you you choose to make. And like you know, it's not like. The rest of the movie isn't about that either because it is like all of the like plot lines that happen in in the the background are like, you know, you have the the old homeless guy who dies, who says like people would be sad if they like knew who I was, if they like if my identity was revealed. Um, mm-hmm. You have the 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 godfather guy who's like. Um, yeah, the, like the mafia boss guy, like, you know, godfather in the gangster sense, but like the mafia boss guy who's like my daughter's getting married to this guy and i'm not i'm not very happy about it but they're like well that's what she chose though so she she should be happy right um you have and and then obviously like at the sort of climax point of the movie you have the the guy who sees like on tv after being yelled at by gin like his his like ex-wife essentially who's about to like jump off a building with a baby and so he runs out and he says like i was wrong like we can we can do this right yeah so like mm-hmm. that mo- that moment is so I, I didn't i forgot that moment existed in the movie when i was watching it but like that hit me so hard when i was watching it this time because i was like because because like that that is what family is family is you know what you choose to to make of it and i don't know this this movie does that probably better than any any real movie <laughs> like any other movie that i can really think of off the top of my head like I, yeah. I do like that it focuses on the on the Fallon family while not forgetting about you know the their their biological connections and also not necessarily demonizing their biological connections either. Like right. Miyuki does have like a tenuous relationship with her father, but she most definitely feels like she was the one in the wrong in that situation. Mm-hmm. And like um, I think they both yeah. they both do because like he's constantly yeah. searching for her. Right, exactly. And it's it's just kind of her her own guilt about the way she handled the situation that prevents her from yeah. going home. But like yeah. <laughs> and then there's there's the amazing amazing moment at the end of the movie where like the cop is like, "Yeah, you're you're you uh <laughs> these like homeless people saved your 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 kid." And then he walks yeah. in and, and it's like, "Huh?" <laughs> oh, I like that you didn't in in an, in another series, you would you would expect that this would be like the climax of the movie. But this was the end of this movie, where she oh, yeah. finally meets her father face to face in person. <laughs> right, and that's all you need to know. And then and the that, movie and, ends. And the movie ends, and I love that about his work that it's so tightly written that that he takes into account like how much your imagination would be able to carry right. the rest of the story. Yeah, <laughs> like he doesn't need to to do anything else aside from that, just because yep. you know what it's going to do. And like this, this is the thing, right? A lot of people are very confused about media sometimes because they don't really dig into their own feelings about it, especially mm-hmm. when something has a quote unquote ambiguous ending where if you if you read it thematically, you will know what the like probable ending is anyway. Right. Like what the conclusion should be anyway, you know, movies like right. Annihilation and and Inception, you know, if if you kind of read the thematics of it, you you realize either you will find the true ending, quote unquote, because um, as far as there is a true ending, quote unquote, yeah. um, 
but also you sometimes it just doesn't matter like it it doesn't mm-hmm. it's not relevant to the to the piece itself that yep. like what comes after so much as yep. like that singular moment of like meeting and like obviously that's hilarious because they, they end the movie on this just hilarious coincidence which is what the entire rest of the movie is built on um <laughs> But yeah, I, the thing is, the the movie is so dense with information um, because and going back to that, that every frame of painting video, there's like um, there's that scene that he analyzes where it's about um, the like between Gin and the other the other like old homeless guy where he like closes his eyes uh, or like he like, you know, takes a drink and then he like kind of like, ah, and then you see this shot outside where the windmills like stop spinning and then he closes his eyes, but it turns out he's alive. So the windmill starts spinning again. Um, but then the second time it happens, they don't do another cut shot, but you know, like, he walks outside and the, the windmills have stopped spinning. And it's like, that's the kind of stuff that like conveys information to you without you having to like, you know, say it out loud, you know, mm-hmm. like, the visual storytelling is so, so, so good in Satoshi Kun works. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't know how many times I've got to say this, but it's important for anime to, to have like visual storytelling and visual meaning because that's the point of the medium. It's a visual medium. <laughs> it's a visual medium. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't think everything necessarily has to be like that because um, some stuff just does swing by on like kind of just solid funny writing and whatever but like a lot of information is conveyed visually and as people you accept a lot of uh information visually like the reason konosuba is so funny aside from the fact that the sh- the writing is like sharp and the voice acting is really good is because the actual vis- like visual physical comedy of it is so so funny and it's done really well too um mm-hmm. but like like that that's the kind of thing where like you know this movie has so much in it that like is is conveyed visually um sometimes even subconsciously like you know um a lot of information comes very fast but you're able to keep up with it because you just don't need that much information like if you cut out all of the non-important parts your brain will fill in the rest yep also that last scene is is like that that last scene in the climax is really good where like they're just like trying to keep each other from like falling off the building. Um, and then Hana jumps off to like catch the baby and then like clings on. Um, but then, then there's this like final shining moment where like the, a, a huge fucking, like literally a gust of wind that is impossibly uh-huh. powerful just comes out of nowhere and like, uh-huh. p- like lop, like a lobster and like the, the light is shining down perfectly. And, it's like such a good representation of like what the rest of the movie is about where like there is a miracle happening there is a like this this absolutely no way this could happen coincidence that's happening but like it doesn't feel like it is you know cheap like the thing is that this goes against what most people traditionally think of as good like writing because People traditionally think of good writing as, you know, coincidences should only make your characters' lives worse. They should only complicate them. But in Tokyo Godfathers, it does both. It complicates them, but that's also the same reason why other things can start to happen. Like, they're so multifaceted in in the way that they work. You know, you have the 
the guy that they happened to save from being run over by a car because they were just like they were just taking grave <laughs> were, offerings because they yeah, were hungry. They were just from grave. Yeah, exactly. They were taking food and trying to find like diapers and and whatnot for and and food for the the baby. So they were robbing these graves, and then they come across this dude who's getting run over by his own car, and so they decide to help him, despite the fact that they could have just walked away and kept going, because they were, they were just thieving. Right, and, and then, like, and then, you know, um, and later, because of that, they go in his car to, like, the, the wedding, where Gin finds out, like, that's the guy that, like, conned me, basically. But then before but then they he, find out more information about the mom, right. the baby's mom. B- before anything can happen, though, somebody tries to assassinate the guy and yeah. he jumps in front. Like, there's they're really like this entire movie is built on this sequence of hilarious coincidences. Oh, God. And, and it, it's amazing. It's, it's so great. It's great. And also, like, he has such a good understanding of like how the audience's reactions would be to these kinds of things just happening, right? Like, it's like, oh, it's convenient that this thing or that thing happened. But there's also these random elements, just just unacknowledged. If they just happen, like the couple that gets run over by that freaking truck or whatever. <laughs> yeah, in the beginning, in the opening <laughs> credits. Yeah, and and there's so many moments like that that just kind of like, you're like, what the frick is I think, happening? <laughs> I think to that point, though, it's it's important to 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 realize that the reason that it feels like consistent is because it it establishes a pattern in the beginning of the movie where mm-hmm. like be, like this baby is basically like bulletproof, like whatever luck has been has been blessed upon this child is protecting her and everyone around her from being like hit by cars and like buildings and like water and stuff so like it establishes it in the first like 10 seconds of the movie right and then after that it continues that the movie and it, it's like you know it, and hana like comments on it she says like this this child must be loved by god and <laughs> And it really does feel like that. Like, it feels like this This is the most, like, th- this is the most, like, religious, non-religious movie. Yes. Because it establishes so strongly this presence of a divine hand. While at the same time, never actually saying anything about that. Like, obviously, right. Hannah, like, prays and believes in Jesus. She goes to church. But, like, you know, it's it's not, like, something that people really talk about. Um, and it's not really, like, what the what the movie is about but at the same time it's what it feels like it's about because there's so much stuff that happens that is pure Mm -hmm. and utter coincidence like the fact that they run into the same taxi driver again (laughs) and he's and they just like kind of rope him into more stuff i felt so bad for him he crashed his car at the end and that was it you don't get to see him again (laughs) yeah like you see like um uh, you know uh, Miyuki and Hana are like giving the the child to the to the lady who stole her while at the same time mm-hmm. Gin is talking to the husband of the guy of the of, of the lady. So like, you know, it's that kind of stuff where it's like even when they're apart, you know, thematically they're they're together, they're working together. And like Jesus Christ, this movie is so absolutely buckwild. <laughs> I like. It's I promise great. you, you're and, not you're not ready for whatever happens at, at like no, the latter half the, of it. 
the pacing is so good. Like even yeah. with the random elements, I feel like the random elements help to kind of gauge your expectations of like, uh, in a sense of like anything goes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so like you see that that truck thing that that crashes into that couple. Later on, you see an ambulance crash into a convenience store right. while the homeless people are getting harassed. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, it, it is um, I, I will say this. Um, I love the opening credit scene because it's like you have these um, diegetic credits like they're basically all the credits are on like billboards or on the sides of like. Um, yes. Uh, trucks or like on yes. on the, the entrance to like the the um, convenience store. Like, yeah, it's it's very, very, very good. Um, it yeah, is probably one of the most stylish opening credit sequences that I've ever seen. It's yeah. still absolutely and the last holds truck up. that pulls up and has director Satoshi Kon. Yeah, it's so so good <laughs> um, and because it, it it's part of the movie, like, mm-hmm. and it it it's still conveying more information to you while that stuff is happening, and mm-hmm. like, it just immediately barrels straight into the movie. Like the thing is, there are a lot of like these um, fade shots that happen in in Tokyo Godfather and in cohen's other work that you just almost don't really notice because they're so um like it's a very like old school style of editing like a very old like 20th century cinema style (laughs) editing but like Mm -hmm. it it legitimately works because you're essentially linking stuff both visually and thematically like that transition scene between the um uh the like blood dripping off of the pipe to when Miyuki has stabbed her father the scene where um the oni story kind of like fades out and you see them standing on the bridge you know all that kind of stuff is like so good at linking it like visually and thematically that like the entire movie just flows it's such a such yeah. a such a smooth yeah. wash yep yeah um obviously there's one one last thing that we did not mention yet which is that uh there is in fact a scene where the homeless people do get beat up by a bunch of punk young kids because um (sighs) it do be like that um in in japan Um, very triggering they they have it uh that's one of the opening scenes in inuyashiki too where it's just like this homeless guy that gets beat up by these teenagers it's like a pretty pretty common thing apparently like (laughs) i mean obviously japan does not treat its homeless populations very well um i mean neither do we but like yeah uh so there there's obviously very graphic depictions of violence um against the homeless and like i don't know anytime i see these these scenes in in anime you know it's it's like ah japan and yeah well the thing is it's not it's not fair to say like ah japan because it's literally how everybody in the world treats homeless people so like sure and you're just like society you're right exactly and i i like that they didn't really shy away from it like they did include it but they also made it a point like this isn't this isn't really the big point of the movie. Like, yes, we are showing the lives of homeless people. Mm-hmm. But then right after that, he like sees like a quote unquote angel, which happens to be someone who works at the Okama bar. <laughs> yeah, which is uh, t- I love that. I love that, that yeah. transition. It's so, so, so good. Just like, yeah, would you so like funny. my magic or an ambulance? An ambulance, please. Well, I never. <laughs> yeah. Um I I mean I think it's it's very fair like um it does not linger on the scene like long enough for it to be like um gratuitous 
Um, but it yeah. is very honest about like the kind of treatment that homeless people get because obviously they're treated pretty poorly throughout the throughout the movie because yeah. they're homeless people and people don't like homeless people basically right so like, like you see them like they're 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 regarded as smelly they don't they're not wanted in the convenience store or on the train or any right. of that you know yeah so you know it, it is a very like um that is part of the movie and it, it is not a part of the movie that you know satoshi Kon shies away from um so obviously if that is sensitive material um that as well um is is important to watch out for in this movie um but yeah yeah yeah. this this movie i love i think i watch it every christmas (laughs) or every december just because it's yeah objectively the perfect christmas movie it Um, is actually so great i kind of i like this a lot better than honestly like quote-unquote real christmas movies about like santa and stuff like i i legitimately think this captures the spirit of what christmas is meant to be better than any other whatever christmas movie out there you know sure i mean well how you how would you compare it to like a christmas story uh i don't i don't know it's like the the thing i guess to me it's like the fact that it acknowledges all of the um all of the like spirit and magic of christmas time of what it's supposed to be while Mm. never actually really talking about it is Mm -hmm. i think better to me personally um okay that might be a personal choice obviously just because like oh sure yeah 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 but like you know stuff stuff like christmas story stuff like um uh what is it like a perfect life or something I don't it's remember. a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life, yeah. Um, mm. I don't know. I I just like this better. It might be because I like anime better, but like I I think that it it's, might be because you weeb. Yeah, it might be because <laughs> I'm a weeb. But I also think it's just like probably one of the best like put together. Um, oh no, yeah, it's movies. it's actually wonderful. Um, yeah, and it's it's like the only comedy that Satoshi Kon ever did, and it's fucking hilarious. It's it raucously so funny. So good, like the comedy, like every joke. I was just like, oh my god, this is so funny. Like I'm I'm so used to watching, you know, his other stuff like Paranoia Agent and yeah. Paprika, and then this, <laughs> and then there was this. <laughs> I mean, the the same thing that makes him really good at building tension and and like kind of really just cranking it up is the same thing that makes him really good at comedy. Like this this yeah. understanding of like motion and movement and timing and like how characters interact with each other like all of the cuts in the movie are just so 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 good and they're, yeah. they're also really funny like they're so funny <laughs> like like going back to the one where uh like going back to the scene where like you know miyuki picks up the key she just kind of looks down at it and then it is assumed that it is now in her inventory and like later they're like talking about something and they're like, ah, yeah, like whatever. And then she's like, ah, and then they immediately cut. That's hilarious. It's really funny. <laughs> anyway, I love this movie a lot. Um, and if, if my brain wasn't so addled, uh, I probably could talk about it for a lot longer. Do you have anything else you wanted to say? Uh, I would say go, go watch it if you haven't watched it yet. If you made it this far on the podcast, then you've made it to the length of the movie. <laughs> oh shit, you're right. <laughs> Good god. So, uh why not why not go watch it because it's 
actually really, really wonderful. <laughs> I I love the heck out of it, and I hope to watch it again and and be able to experience all this lovely Christmas or holiday spirited joy and togetherness and whatnot because it's it's actually so fun to watch it doesn't even feel like an hour and 30 minutes because like they pack so much in and yet because the pacing is so smooth and and i don't know just it's really eventful you just keep watching and you're like oh it's over (laughs) yes it is a wild ride from start to finish yeah okay yeah well Shall we wrap up then? Whoa, do it. Okay. Well, who are you? Where can we find you on the internet? Who me? I am Ranu. You can find me on Twitter and uh, Tumblr and Twitch at SwanDrawn. You can find me on Instagram at swan.drawn. I've been, I'm still playing Disgaea 1 on my stream. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, it's it's a fun time. You can come hang out, and uh, I'll add you to my ever-growing party of people I name after chat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's great. <laughs> nice. Yeah. How about you? You can find me all places at Literal Soup, uh, which now includes Patreon, and you can go look at my WordPress page, literalsoup.wordpress.com. Uh, I've pretty much always had that, but like. Only now have I started to really use it, so there's like an old post on there, but you can go read my ra- my ramen primer, and then uh, I'll start to upload some stuff onto it, you know, when I'm not sick. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, other than that, like, I don't, I, I'm probably going to be, I don't know, taking care of holiday stuff. Uh, it, it's coming up. I'm going on a family trip on the 22nd, so that will be quite interesting. Um... But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's not, that's not too bad. Okay. Our opening is by Scotty Network and our ending is by uh, Takuma Okada. And the patrons that we have to thank for this week, Frostfall. Thanks, bud. Thanks, man. Thanks for supporting the show. Yeah. In his wonderful holiday times. (laughs) Many blessings and coincidences upon you, my friend. Uh. <laughs> yes, may you may you not find a baby in the trash. Oh my freaking god. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks for listening. See you next time. See you next time. <laughs> we'll have to come up with a new one for next year. Oh no. I like this one already though. Oh. We could I mean, we haven't stuck to it that long. We could just keep doing it. ね。